Just a reminder before we start, please subscribe and review our show on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners discover the show. Frankly, it makes us feel pretty good. All right, here's the show. Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News political director Rick Klein, and we have a special edition of the podcast today to to talk to the author of a brand new book. Uh, The book is called The Faith of Donald J. Trump, a spiritual biography. And before you stop and say, you kind of scoff at the idea that that you could get a whole book out of this, this is a real book. It is a long and deep read that David Brody and Scott Lamb have put together uh, to to look at the, the background, the backstory, the context around uh, President Trump and his relationship with religion, which you have to admit is, a, is key to his political rise. He famously captured the evangelicals during the primaries, even going against other candidates who were, wore the religion more on their sleeves far more than he did. Uh, and it was key to understanding his election victory uh, in the fall of 2016. It's key to understanding the way he has governed over the first year. And there are few men who know more about President Trump and, and his religion uh, than David Brody, who is the chief political correspondent for the Christian Broadcasting Network, someone I have known and admired for a long time for his for his interviews and his insights. Uh, and he has interviewed the president. Uh, he interviewed him for this book, as, as, along with the Vice President Pence. Uh, he also has interviewed him on camera about his faith, probably more than anyone. Uh, and I wanted to just, before we talk to David Rohde, uh, share with you a little bit from the interview he did just a week into the Trump presidency, a little more than a year ago, talking about the president and his relationship with God in, in, now in the Oval Office. Let me switch gears and, you know, it wouldn't be a, an interview between us if I didn't ask a, a God question, if you will. Uh, how, how has that spiritual journey been for you, especially being here and knowing the gravity of the office? Uh, do, do you feel the need to pray more? Uh, how, where are you on that? Well, I tell you what, uh, I've always felt the need to pray, mm-hmm. and you know that. So I would say that uh, the office is so powerful that you need God even more because your decisions are no longer, gee, I'm going to build a building in New York or I'm going to do that. These are, these are questions of massive life and death, even re- with regard to health care. Mm-hmm. You know, we're working very hard on health care. But there you're talking about life and death and you're talking about better lives, mm-hmm. better lives, people living better because they have better health care at a lower price, which we're working very hard on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you realize... These decisions are all so important. There's, there's almost not a decision that you make when you're sitting in this position that isn't uh, a really life-altering position. Mm-hmm. So God comes into it even more so. And joining us now, David Brody, the author of the brand new book, The Faith of Donald J. Trump, a spiritual biography. David Brody, welcome to Powerhouse Politics. Rick, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. So congratulations on the book, and it is an interesting book. It's a, it's a real interesting and deep look at the spirituality, the religious uh, background of, of President Trump, the faith of Donald J. Trump, as the title says. Uh, and and I, I appreciate also that, you, that there's some questions you don't try to answer, like, is Donald Trump going to heaven, for instance, the unknowable things. But, uh, but David, in your, in your view, is Donald Trump a religious man? Well, I can tell you this, Rick, and I will answer that question. Don't worry, I'll get there. Uh, I will say this. He says yes. People around him say yes. And I'm talking about people that are close to him that have no agenda uh, at all to throw out there. Um, 
And talking to folks in the book, whether it be the vice president who spent a lot of time with him, he says yes. Paula White, who would be his closest spiritual counselor, uh, tells me in the book that, and this is a quote, 100% yes, I've had in-depth conversations with Donald Trump, and he is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, then, then we get to the Twitter feed, and people go, well, wait a minute, and it doesn't compute. And so I, I think there is obviously a discussion point to be had, uh, but, but I also think it's, it's important to remember the book is not called The Sainthood of Donald Trump. It's called The Faith of Donald Trump. And so really what this book does is, is look at his worldview, uh, looks more at the spiritual voyage that he's on, especially in these last five years. Uh, and what we're seeing is a behind-the-scenes, and, and Rick, that's important, bold and uh, 18 font, behind-the-scenes transformation here, uh, of a president who it may not be playing out on his Twitter feed, but what's going on is we like to say what lies beneath uh, is something that I think there's a dot, dot, dot to the story and it hasn't finished yet. So do, do you feel like religious people, people that are deeply religious, have a an, any issue with President Trump in his personal life? Or is there an actual separation? It's not just the Twitter feed, as you know. There's a guy with two divorces and lots of tapes mm-hmm. out there. There's a This is a colorful checkered past. There's business history as well. It, 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 to your mind, can you, as a, as a believer, can, can other believers make that separation and say, whatever he has done in this personal life, there's something, there, there's an overriding faith that's, that, that's more powerful? They can, and they clearly have, because he's sitting in 1600 Pennsylvania <laughs> Avenue right now. And Good I point. will tell you this, that uh, here's what they do, Rick. Uh, and, and people can get on, get on them for justifying it this way, but here's how they justify it. They say, we're going for the moral macro vision here. In other words, here we go, right? Judges, the life issue, you know, down the line of, of what evangelicals care about. They believe there's morality in voting for those issues and taking the macro view rather than taking the micro view of the candidate. And how does that play into evangelical Christianity? Well, we know man is a sinner. Woman, women are sinners. We're all sinners. And so therefore, if we're all sinners, you think about it, it makes perfect sense because we will afford that person grace and realize that a candidate is not going to be the one uh, to save us. We know we have a savior that will save us, not Donald Trump. And so therefore they can go over to the macro and see it that way. I, I think you have there's, there's a couple of powerful points to, to, to my mind that I read about in this book. Yeah. The, the, the point that you make about imperfect people uh, and the perfect will of God and imperfect mm-hmm. messengers for that I think is powerful. I also think the, the, the line you have about the tongue and bluster uh, that that uh, that of uh, of really of, of of regular people, the greasy spoon, you say, the Rotary Club, uh, making mm-hmm. these these moral arguments. To your mind, is it is he religious in the way that a lot of people are religious in the sense that they aren't ivory tower dwellers, they aren't popes or saints or anything like it? They, mm-hmm. That they their their religion is something broader and maybe maybe even less particular than the religion that you typically learn about in Sunday school. Well, this book delves into his, the mainline Presbyterian churches that he saw grew up in. Look, this was not this was not a Pentecostal type situation, an evangelical situation that he was in at all. So he doesn't wear his faith on his sleeve. He is more um, more reserved when it comes to that, and I think that's important to understand. You know, I, I would also say that what we're seeing is a compassionate side of him that doesn't get played out in public a lot. So, for example, a couple stories in the book. I mean, literally, he's with televangelist James Robeson, who in evangelical community is a big deal. Uh, there he is praying with him in an SUV on a tarmac in Pensacola, Florida, during the campaign. I mean, where was that story? It was nowhere to be in this book. But after that, he gets out, 
hugs James Robeson and says, I love you so much. I love you, man. I mean, Donald Trump saying I love you. I mean, that's breaking news right there. Uh, The point simply is that there's a whole nother side. You know, Walter Cronkite has said this before. He says in seeking the truth, we need to get both sides of the story. I think this book will give you a fuller, more rounded picture of Donald Trump. And I think that's important. And Rick, let me just point out one other thing. Uh, Back to the sainthood issue. Look, uh, Christians are well aware uh, that it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And Donald Trump, at least this book, what this book is showing with tangible examples is that it seems like he may be finishing well as it relates to his spiritual walk because he's making progress, he's curious. We have stories in the book about him praying with Mike Pence. And when I say praying with Mike Pence, I'm not talking about Pence coming up to Trump. I'm talking about Trump coming up to Pence. Uh, Trump is seeking people out because he even revealed that at the network anchor luncheon the other day. He says, you know, in business, it's all, there's no heart. But in governing, you've got to have heart as well. And I think what we're seeing is more of a transformation. And one last thing, real quick, the National Prayer Breakfast. First year, what did he do? It was all about the apprentice and about all of his accomplishments or what he wanted to do. Second year, no apprentice talk, no accomplishments, more about God. Less of him, more of God. I think we're starting to see a bit of a transformation here. It's interesting because, I, and you've talked to him about his relationship with God more than anyone uh, in the public realm, I, I've mm-hmm. got to think. You've interviewed mm-hmm. him so many times about this and, and, and talked deeply about his faith. And I continue to be struck by this, some of the answers he's given over time. And I'm, I remember back when he said that um, he didn't, he, there was nothing that he could recall asking God for forgiveness over. And when he was asked mm-hmm. if he read Scripture, it was, well, there's so many out there. I mean, do, in your view, does he read Scripture? Does he, does he, is he someone that reads and, and comprehends and gets inspiration from Scripture? Does he ask God? for forgiveness and just doesn't talk about it? A couple different things. Uh, yes, he does read Scripture. It's, uh, it's actually given to him by whether it be the person that's leading the cabinet Bible studies there that we've reported at CBN. Uh, there is a story in the book where I talk about how he asked me for some Bible verses. That's actually in the book, and i got to tell you, and I know, you know, the, the capital J in the journalism question will come up about sending a candidate Bible verses. Well, you know what? If Hillary Clinton or anybody had asked me to send Bible verses, absolutely I'm going to do the same exact thing. Hillary didn't ask me to send her Bible verses. But <laughs> that would have been Trump, breaking news, too. But, no, but Donald Trump did, and so I went ahead and did that. He actually called me a, a few days later and said, hey, look, I've got them right here. They're printed out on my desk, and I'm reading them, is what he said. So look, the, these are stories behind the scenes that no one knows about, uh, and, and I think that's important to point out. As for forgiveness, let's remember, all of the headlines were about Frank Luntz and what he said in Iowa. What they don't report, not widely for sure, is my interview with him a month later on the golf course in California where I asked him, so do you ask God for forgiveness? I've got it. I'll send you the link. It's right there on Google. Type it in. He says, yes, I do ask God for forgiveness. I do it through communion and some other ways. But yes, it's an important thing. I do. Now, that was never played. It was Frank once and the train had left the station on that. But I'm just trying to make the point that there is a lot more to this than meets the eye. I agree. And the book does that. I mean, I, I, this is a, I'll, I'll commend you on this, David. I mean it. And you're a friend for a long time. And, but I don't say this lightly. This is a real deep look at, at the president's personal religion and, and his spiritual inspiration. I think I commend you for it. This was not, this was not like taking a couple of quotes. This, you really did a great job here with, with your co-author, Scott Lamb. I, I mean that. Uh, but, well, I appreciate Yeah, no, no. I, I don't need to say but. There's no but in, in the sentence. But I want to, I want to move on to, an, to another question around this. Uh, the, the, the example of Donald Trump, you're a dad. I'm a father. Uh, you know, we, we, we all think about the, the, the way that uh, the presidency impacts children and, and the behavior of children. When they see the public face of Donald Trump, 
whether it's the Twitter feed or the accusations that have been out there, some credible, maybe others less so, uh, when they see the, the, the examples where he has really put his foot in his mouth when it comes to big racial issues or gender issues. Are you concerned about, uh, or, or evangelicals that you talk to, concerned about the example of Donald Trump? Whatever his policies are, wherever you can think his heart is, what they see in public about this president. Yeah, I think evangelicals are concerned about the Twitter feed. I think evangelicals are concerned that, you know, they like him to rein it in uh, from time to time. And I got to tell you, during the campaign, whether it was when he would say a a bad word, as we would say on the campaign trail, I was the first one to call him out Uh, when he called Ben Carson an okay doctor, for example. I mean, (laughs) hello, he's a world-renowned brain surgeon, for goodness sake. So, I mean, look, I think evangelicals, if they look, yes, they have... Sure, they have some issues with Donald Trump, but they also take the long view, as we talked about uh, in the macro, and I think that's important to understand. Is there ever a breaking point to your mind? I mean, is there, is, he, he famously said during the campaign that uh, he could shoot someone on Fifth <laughs> Avenue, and his approval ratings would, was. Is there a spiritual equivalent to shooting someone on Fifth Avenue that would be an absolute non starter? A guy that has acknowledged not being faithful in marriage, has had the multiple divorces, has had this very complicated relationship with women as well as men that he's insulted over the years. Is, there a, is, is it possible in this formulation? for even Donald Trump to go too far with evangelicals? No, I don't think so. H- having said that, uh, obviously, if there was some sort of scandal, sexual or otherwise, while he's in the Oval Office, I mean, I think that, you know, may- maybe there's obviously that. But but no, I mean, I, look, look. I, here, here's what's going on on the spiritual level. Uh, evangelicals believe Donald Trump is president, not only for a reason, but put there by God. They believe that. Uh, there's a story in the book uh, where... Donald Trump is going into an African-American church in Detroit. Uh, Bishop Wayne Jackson, one of the, by the way, one of the pastors that spoke at the inauguration or prayed at the inauguration, he goes into this predominantly African-American church and walks in there and says, you know, I've got this speech to give. And Wayne Jackson looks at him and says, uh, Mr. Trump, sorry, we're, we're not going to be able to do that. Uh, I have media, you know, no speeches today. We're not going to do that. And all of a sudden, three or four Trump aides get all upset and say, wait, wait a minute. No, no, he has to give the speech. He came all the way out of here. He's got to give the speech. Uh, Donald Trump looked at the pastor and said, or excuse me, looked at his uh, campaign mem- uh, members and said, hey, if that is what the pastor wants, that is what we're going to do. He quickly, nicely, and with a smile on his face, put the uh, note back, the speech, back in his uh, jacket, walked away, said, sounds good, let's just go worship. And that was it. Then Pastor Jackson, actually, about four minutes later, felt the Holy Spirit saying, quote, let him speak. And he went to Donald Trump and said, I'm going to let you speak. I hope it's not political, but I'm going to let you speak. Anyhow, bottom line is respect for clergy. That's the point. He has a respect for clergy. We hear this all the time. He grew up in 1946. He's 70 years old. He remembers a time in this country where there was Bible reading in school, prayer in school. Uh, We call it the uh, 1950s Judeo-Christian values. And I understand that scares some folks when you hear 1950s, what a great time in America. Well, not really for everybody when we know what we're talking about from a racism standpoint. And he's not talking about that, but he is old school. And he's old school as it relates to Judeo-Christian values, which, to prove God has a sense of humor, he sent Donald Trump, of all people, uh, to be evangelical's best friend. Now, that proves that God's got a sense of humor. <laughs> so f- finally, David, before, before I let you go, uh, Mike Pence, you mentioned the vice president, and, and this is a yeah. man that, that wears his religion on his sleeve and is, a, is, a, is very public about his faith in a way that Donald Trump is. They seem like they're from different religious planets, as far as I'm concerned. But what is... What is the role of, of the vice president in, in shaping and, and in sometimes translating the faith of Donald Trump? It is um, beyond crucial. If there's a word beyond crucial, it's vital. It, it's vital to what we are seeing today. But understand that Donald Trump 
does believe this. It's not like he, he's being uh, cajoled uh, by uh, Vice President Pence. But, you know, Donald Trump also wants you to make a reasoned argument about it. And, and, and that's the value of Mike Pence, that he can make not only a reasoned argument, but he's credible. And, and, this, and let me just say about Mike Pence and evangelicals and um, the, the, the suck-up factor, as we like to call it, you know, this idea that he would pander to evangelicals or this is all just a game. Let's, I mean, let's just be Rick. I mean, come on, let's just be honest. Does Donald Trump need to pander to anybody? Does he really care necessarily about being president? He had power, he had fame, he had money, he had everything he wanted. He didn't go play the bathroom. He didn't need any of this. So, so the point simply is, is, look, I remember the first interview I did with him in April 2011. He's talking to the Christian Broadcasting Network, and I say, so tell me about your church attendance. And he goes, well, you know, I, I go on Easter, I go on Christmas, and I go on a few Sundays. Now, not necessarily the answer you want to give to the Christian Broadcasting Network. <laughs> uh, but, but yet... That's what he did. Why? He wouldn't know how to pander to evangelicals, if, even if he could. The point is, he's going to be who he's going to be. It has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, warts and all, but here he stands. And, and, when, and as far as you're concerned, he's not faking it. That, I think the concern that a lot of people had from the beginning, to your mind, it's genuine. Well, 100% it's genuine, and you don't have to take my word for it. Just take a look at what he's done for evangelicals in the first year. You know, the proof is in the pudding, right? You'll know them by their fruit. Well, there's a lot of fruit on that tree for evangelicals in the first year. He has put his money where his mouth is. And you know Donald Trump. It'd be one thing to pander to a base, you know, a base of, of quote, and I put this in air quotes, deplorables. It, it's quite another to actually make policy based on, uh, based on that. And, indeed, he's doing that because he, what is he important? He loves himself. Let's be honest. We know that. He's got some work to do in that issue. This just in. <laughs> uh, but, but the truth of the matter is, is that if he... Uh, if he cares so much about himself, then he's going to care about his legacy. And if he's going to care about his legacy, he's going to care about the policies that he implements. And boom, we see evangelical policy, evangelical-type policy, being imp- implemented quite a bit in this for sure. All right. David Brody from the Christian Broadcasting Network, the author of the new book, The Faith of Donald J. Trump. Again, congratulations on the book. It's a fascinating read. David, thanks for being here on Powerhouse Politics. Appreciate it. Rick, thank, thanks so much for having me on. That does it for this special edition of Powerhouse Politics. We will be back next week with more. Please go on Apple iTunes, leave us a rating. Wherever you find out your podcast, tell your friends about it. We'd love to get the word out. Our special thanks to Angie Yak and Avery Miller and David Rind. And John Carl will be back next week with a new edition of Powerhouse Politics. We'll see you then.